obelisk. The obelisk is the key. Good evening and welcome to the obelisk. Tonight's guest is Anna Retort, right? <laughs> I still screwed it up. Anna is It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She doesn't care. Anna Retort is a Retort. Like I forgot she said right. <laughs> is a traditional cultural anthropologist, PhD, Dr. Anna, a linguist, a regenerative farmer, a contemplative meditator. She lives in a village in Southeast Asia. Anna, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. I am it's so a treat for me to be on. thrilled. Anna, my love, I just adore you so much. We have not had much correspondence of late. It's crazy, but you are a magical being. And I think for me, when I consider you, First and foremost, you're a magical being, and that is the top of your bio for me. So, yes, as Jerry said, welcome to the obelisk. Oh, well, I hope we climb the obelisk um, in <laughs> in good order. <laughs> With or without the magic that you attribute to me. I mean, you know, uh, well, I think, you know, nowadays makes. we have to... Oh, thank you, darling. But I mean, you know, nowadays we have to work hard for recovering the, you know, that magical stuff that was our birthright all yes. that time ago. Yes. And, you know, this is kind of a little bit on par with what we were talking about earlier. And these energetics we're now swimming in that we are just having to, whether we like it or not, find a way to navigate through these new fields and uh yeah. as you were talking about with the copper but i i want to go back so we'll bring in people i want to i i feel that this is something important to address so you have had an unusual rainstorm but the difference in your uh dusting there's an oil quality now i've been kind of following a narrative similar to this and they've introduced of course the fourth state of water which has an oil component to it it's gel like and i'm experiencing and seeing this new oil kind of factor everywhere so could you bring us into the loop of what you're experiencing there well there again, <clears throat> I mean, you're mentioning the fourth phase of water, which is basically it's that it's that colloidal phase, which is which is essential to life. Actually, I mean, you know, that's uh, Jerry Pollock has has clearly shown that you know the the what he calls the exclusion zone is that edge where water is no longer completely that you know the liquid thing that we. Th normally are acquainted with um you know and it feels to me like a kind of matrix in the you know in the generative sense 
where where stuff can happen as opposed to you know when when water or fluids are just flowing well they're flowing they're carrying their information and their you know energy charge and whatever it is that they're carrying but th there needs to be some some kind of um, not solidity but kind of stability for that to start interpenetrating with whatever medium or tissue or whatever is 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 dialoguing with the water now i'm the, the this greasiness feels like you know oiliness greasiness is not the same as being colloidal colloidal basically is about it's glue it's the stuff that glues things together and oiliness well it's got this grimy feel to it and it you know i mean very unfamiliar i'm you know for years and years i've been living here and i'm familiar with the the kind of dust the flavor the texture of it that we have every you know the hot season before the monsoon starts but this stuff i mean well it's not as if i had to scrape it with with you know with a wire brush but it was just you know sticky unfamiliar and and there was this oppressive, oppressive feeling that everybody felt. You know, the people of the village here said, and God knows they've known heat, you know, from one year or decade to the next. They've been, you know, they've been through it in this part of the world. But they have never experienced this kind of heat. And, you know, for them it's difficult. But I'm just perceiving from the way they're speaking that it's a qualitative difference as opposed to a quantitative difference in degrees. Because my thermometers were saying, yeah, okay, you know, 40 centigrade, that's what, 100, and around 100 uh, Fahrenheit. Oh, you know, no big deal. But the the crushing quality of this of this heat, it was, it was just, it, it felt wrong. You know, it felt not, not generated by, by nature. Unless nature, you know, perhaps needed to take charge of something and to process it, it was necessary to ramp up the heat. You know, I mean, I'm going into speculation, but it, you know, there was something happening. But the weird thing is, for me at any rate, after the first couple of weeks of being completely sort of crushed and flat out, it kicked in a, a kind of instinctive, mm, subtle reaction in me. I'm not going to say spiritual because it's another loaded word. That, um, And I became hyper-energetic. And it's like I was riding the wave of this extreme heat and started doing stuff. Clearing out the house, the junk, the this, that, and the other, and, you know, getting, getting into the, the copper thing. It, um, so, you know, what this brings to mind is that in this phase, we need to be able to take in the crappy energies and convert them to our benefit and be able to ride the wave of what they're, you know, like ride the surf of, of, of what they're giving us. Rather than, and I think, you know, that's more like the martial arts way of, um, of of dealing with this instead of you know fighting and 
you know, resisting. With this kind of, you know, the intensity of what is coming our way, you know, physically, uh, cognitively, emotionally, spiritually, you name it. It's, um, we need to be able to take the poison in and alchemize it and use it as fuel. Did I answer your question, Nish? <laughs> you did. And <clears throat> I love how you bring this into how can we make this work? Because really, truly, it's everywhere, whatever this is. And I do see the distinction between the fourth state of water, but I find it interesting that they like threw it out and introduced that the new fourth state of water in the last couple of years. And then all of a sudden we're seeing these minute changes in a lot of different things. And now I've encountered this greasiness. It does not feel beneficial. It feels, um, it feels burdensome and it feels, it feels kind of, if I may say sleazy. And I know that's yeah. a weird word to put with it, but it just is not, a, I'm not happy with it and I'm noticing it. Also, there's something else going on here and that now this is the second year in a row. I've noticed it during our rainy season, which is the winters here where I am in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. The, we're certainly used to to rain, and the ground here has certainly been used to rain for however long, I mean, imagine. So it, it always yeah. sinks in, and however it's structurally set up, it's set up in a way where the water has, the ground has a capacity for these great amounts of water at this time. And mm, the last right. two years, it's been pooling and not sinking into the earth. And I have beautiful, yeah. beautiful, loomy, rich soil here because I allow everything to, I practice basically permaculture. And so, you know, my, I'm in, I'm in a little healthy bubble. My yard is at least, of course, it's leaching off of others, but it's, I've never seen it here and it's happened here. And then there has been an oily look on the surface of it in the yeah. in the ponds and stuff. And I'm concerned about that. And it has that same energetic signature that feels really gross, slimy, sleazy. Yeah. And I'm concerned about everything that has to come in contact with it. All, all the animals that drink it, the the food we're trying to grow in our yards. And I don't know, do you have an idea? I realize, and you know this with me, we get into the world of speculation. So <laughs> opinions and speculation for me are where we get to deeper ground. But do you have an instinct about why this may be coming on now? And of course, this will bring us probably into weather patterns that are not natural, of course, weather warfare and all that. Well, my, my understanding is, you know, um, I don't know whether they classify oils as colloidals because basically oils and glues are not, it, you know, the, chemically it's not the same or electrochemically it's not the same creature, but you know, with this whole excitement about, um, you know, easy water, colloidal water, fourth phase, um, you know, anything that is 
good for life, as is the fourth state of water, it can any can be weaponized against life. You know, I mean, you can you can look at every anything and everything, and anything can work. You know, towards the so-called positive or towards the so-called negative. Um, and what I find interesting in all this is this question of polarization, where, uh, you know, people, modern humans get all excited and all motivated by the good versus bad aspect of things, of anything. Which is, you know, which is why with this business of the um, of the water that is dirty, greasy, sleazy, does this have to do with with the phenomenon of is it because there are particles or whatever frequencies or whatever harping um, ionospheric heating? What I, you know. I don't think we, we, we don't have the answers to that, but at least we know the words and we know that these nasty things exist. But basically, could they attach certain things or certain frequencies to the colloidal, virtuous, let's say, uh, fourth phase of water to turn it the, the most utterly life-giving substance, trans, you know, transporter of vital information, to turn that into... A, a weapon against life, yeah, I've seen, you know, absolutely, completely, very much their thing. So uh, then, you know, it behooves us to find the creativity in ourselves and in all the different things that we study to restore balance into this thing. I mean, you know, the the whole thing about the esoteric that runs the world is because it is the perversion of the natural magic of life, the natural magic of the cosmos, as I understand it. And I, you know, this for me is not speculation. But they've perverted it, which means they've only got a certain percentage of it. <clears throat> Once you start perverting and you start doing krivda, you start um, making truth crooked, you're not holding the full potency of true truth. So, um, I think, it, you know, in, there again, this brings me back to not just plain fighting, because we don't have the, the tools to fight on that terrain. We don't have the perverted sense of esoteric or magic, the magic of life. We just have the intrinsic reality of it in us that has been weaponized against us also inside us so do you see where, where where i'm going with this i'm not going probably in exactly the same place as you are but i you know definitely living out here not having we don't have the kind of you know really really heavy constant onslaughts that you've been having in north america you know for for decades um you know the chemtrailing here is much less uh but I'm glad that I knew about it because I could recognize that there was something, you know, not right with the particular onslaught that we've just had, which is really unprecedented. So, 
to, you know, to come into this, I, I really think it's really, 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 really absolutely crucially, crucially essential for us to to recover what is what is naturally ours. <laughs> and, you know, and we may, you know, science and the good scientists, you know, the whistleblowers, they give us indications. And then, I mean, you know, as better, you know, better than I do, how much one has to go deep into one's own sort of, you know, that inner chamber uh, to to let this stuff percolate and to let the innate wisdom of life, you know, give us give us the answers. Yeah, and this actually touches upon your latest book as well and uh, the process of the nothingness. And um, there's so much here. I don't even know where to start. But what I wanted to get at is the fact that I think now all over the realm, people are really beginning to notice that there is a manipulation at hand in places where it wasn't so apparent, like where you are, the subtleties here and there. And you're in the third world. And as you said, we are starting to become the third world here and or, you know, you didn't use those exact words, but it is it is something to think about as we move forward through all these changes, because inevitably, I think the amping of this stuff that seems very difficult to navigate is somehow got a timing to it. And for me, and there is something magical going on with a lot of us and everyone I think has the potential to get into this wave and allow it to breathe them, as you say, and just mm -hmm. and, and move into that space and then plug and play whatever this is that is trying to interfere with our natural waves, our natural instincts, our natural uh, hearing that is beyond our physical hearing and all this stuff that is really for the first time in my life and you're my elder. So I'm sure you are recognizing this more than I, you at least have a longer view of this, that something truly, truly gigantic, I want to say gigantic is happening and it's it's hard to navigate how nasty so much how nasty the Steiner thing that like the eight spears coming down upon us like this idea that we are hatching into something beautiful into something more beautiful and these these energetics are feeding upon that process i'm not sure i have the language to convey exactly what i'm trying to say here but i think you may have an idea of what I mean, well, <clears throat> I, I mean, you know, like many of us, I definitely have a sense that, you know, we, we, we're having to go through this tunnel. It's, you know, it's a kind of initiation. We are being forced into a, an initiation. And, um, you know, those of us who have already had flavors of initiation before, earlier than, you know, this particular phase, 
are somewhat in a better position to, you know, keep their keep their balance through this particular phase. And then, you know, some of us are uh, reassuring the masses, you know, with the bit about we're going into the age of Aquarius and it's all going to be wonderful and we're going to be constructing <laughs> the world that we want. Uh, yeah, but <clears throat> if we're going to be able to construct something good, um, well, perhaps we need to have some skills and expertise and, you know, we have to have some some kind of abilities that are not something that you're going to pick up, you know, at the last minute from a, uh, you know, whatever, for dummies book, you know. Um, so th there, there is this collective wave that is picking up more and more of us. But, you know, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be blind to the fact that we've been weaponized against ourselves for millennia. And particularly effectively, you know, since the Industrial Revolution and the invention of social engineering, you know, the refined forms that, that they're using now, which once you look at them from outside, they are not at all refined, but they're more <laughs> refined than, you know, than you know, putting shackles on you and torturing you and whatever, quartering you on the rack. So, um, you know, they no longer need to torture us physically to be able to get at our mind and soul. They can extract the soul even without the physical torture. And that is, that's the spookiest part of it, really. Uh, and you know, it tells me that the that in many, many of us, including some of us who think that we are awake, the connection between the soul and the body is yeah a tad flimsy, shall I say? Um, you know, we everybody's talking about oh yes, soul. It's all about soul work and soul this that and soul this that. And you know, the more they talk about it the more I get a sense that they haven't a clue what the soul thing feels like. You know, do they... There is this huge inheritance that we have from the Christian religion where, yeah, we know that we have a soul. Western people, Christian people, post-Christian people, New Age people. Um, whereas people in the third world, you know, it's no big deal for them. It's uh, th there's still more of an organic completeness to the human being, especially, especially you know, in the lower strata of society, which is where I've been dwelling for the past twenty five years. Um, they they don't need to talk about the soul because, like, they don't need to talk about what they believe in. You know, the whole business of belief that is such a big thing in the West. False beliefs, true beliefs. You know, these people don't... It's not a matter of belief. They have a sense of what is and they have a sense of what isn't. You know, it's being it's being very, very effectively perverted, you know, nowadays with education, TV and consumerism and all that. 
which is, you know, it's it's everywhere around the world now. But it's really striking to me how Western modern people take their souls for granted and don't seem to realize how relatively easily their souls can be yanked out of them. You know, either in bits and pieces during their lifetime or, you know, probably at the time of, of, of passing, you know, over into some other world or into the eighth sphere for that matter. So, yeah, my, I'm, you know, I, I'm careful about, I'm very cautious about this whole thing, you know, how we are going to pull through whatever it is that they're throwing at us, going to be throwing at us in linear succession or concurrently. And it looks more and more like concurrently. Um, it's it's a hell of a lot for, you know, and I'm particularly worried about the people of the first world who have not had the training of the poor people of the third world. You know, in the third world, you, you can manage fine as a poor person. Um, that is, you know, until your economy becomes completely monetarized and and you fall completely into the trap of debt, which is what's happening across across the third world. Um, but in terms of, you know, ability to survive and to smile in situations of adversity, I mean, you know, the so-called third world has taught me so much and has toughened me in terms of, you know, okay, the, the, the relative hardship that my body can take and how my mind and my sensitivities can work with this. Now, you know, the business of going back to the Stone Age or becoming a third world country, it's the loss of all the trappings of, you know, modern modernity, convenience, uh, speed, just in time, uh, abundant choice, generally convenience. Um, that's... You know, that, that kind of, you know, hard knocks uh, reality is, I think, a very useful, a very useful, you know, thing for relearning one's connection with oneself. I'm, I'm saying this based on my own experience. You know, I, I came from, I came from Europe. I had, you know, very well-paid job and I landed in a village in India and, uh, you know, not long after I relinquished my big fat job, applied for a scholarship to go and study music in India and learned to live with a hundred bucks a month. And it was not a problem. That's, you know, it's not a problem. How that, you know, how, how the body of the modern people of the first world is going to adapt to this is going to have a lot to do with how they mentally and spiritually um, use this opportunity to to alchemize the you know the immense charge of crappy energy that is being thrown our way, which is okay, you know, it's a pile of manure that we permaculturists um, need to turn into into good fertilizer, but you know, in ourselves. So, you know, I think those people who've been doing permaculture in the in, in, in their environment, in their 
you know, the land around them can perhaps have an easier time adapting that concept to the permaculture of of the self, of the subtle stuff of who we are. I, I've been going around in circles, I think. I don't know if I've answered no, your question. Oh, no, in, spi <laughs> in spirals. And this is such a prescient idea for people to understand. It's weird. I got, I'm in one ear now. Anyway, persevere. Uh, Didn't so that happen last week this, too? No. Okay. Not, well, maybe it did, Jer. It, it may have. Yeah. Anyway, so... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It, uh, what I see going on, Enna, here in the West, and I have lived very third world myself, in 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 a couple locations and and loved it in fact i think that was the happiest i ever have been the most fulfilled i have ever been and there is a part of me that is desperately trying to allow that to come back to me but in an organic way and so what I'm seeing here, and I apply those principles here because I think all my neighbors would think I'm a third world person from the looks of my yard and all this. I mean, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not society ready here at all, but I'm always, a, I think, probably an eyesore for everyone and I'm fine with mm. it. So that being said, I am observing and energetically so through through my feelers through my empathic nature this collective and this is in context to where i am up in washington state in the united states this collective mm -hmm. shift that is so major that everyone around is very unstable and they're unstable for mm. many different reasons. Uh, there's all, of course, all this stuff coming down over here in the West that is weaponized and uh, very MK-like, uh, at least trauma-inducing. Mm. And mm. this is something I'm familiar with. My personal problems are just in my connection to the environment, which includes the emotional nature of those around in my city it, well it's a town in my town and then collectively on so if something's going on here i i pick up on it and this is part of my morning routine what is me and what is not me and mm. and then i can navigate from there however the arc of this whatever this is that's happening does appear to be just so large and overreaching that one of the things that I'm noticing is the split in personalities because of this trauma. And I am personally viewing it, this is my own woo, but that because these personalities are being split through trauma, the things that are entering the non-human things is what I'm calling them. Whatever you want to call them, wherever you're from, I'm not a big Steiner person because I never really read Steiner, but I hear everyone talking about the eighth sphere. <clears throat> and 
uh, to me, these things are very parasitical, whatever they are, and a product of an unbalanced system, even though the system has been manipulated to be unbalanced so that it could facilitate this. Now, a permaculturist or a naturalist understands these principles. You see it in your in your yard. You know, they tell me I can't grow yeah. thistle here, bull thistle, because it's invasive. I can't get more than two to grow because I've got a well-balanced space here and it doesn't it's not allowed to be this the, all the other healthy things in my environment allow me to have two bull thistles in my yard every year and i'm grateful for them and so when we start looking at this with the humans around us and with the cultural norms and the uh way in which these energetic fields are penetrating the traumatized people around us I actually have been, and you you know a little bit about me, I have been an, a little bit of an off-balance state a couple times because I've encountered outside of my space some shocking, shocking, unbelievable realities that are looking monstrous, if you will. And I think that it seems to be more prevalent here in the West. And I do think that the West is being targeted more severely because of all kinds of factions. But I'm going to tell you, here's a boots on the ground thing. And it feels very dangerous. I have, there've been murders in my town that never had murders. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of crazy going on in my little town. That's just unusual and out of nowhere, all of a sudden. And this is up to and including with our beautiful animal wildlife friends and everything. There's something afoot that is affecting everything. And of course, I believe this is a high radiation event. I believe that, of course, the electromagnetics are part of that because that is part of the radiation aspect. And then we're starting to look and see the grand solar maximum and and all of the activity coming off the sun. There was an event here last weekend where the sun, the temperature jumped 30 degrees up and we had the this crazy, what felt like being a microwave beam. Now everyone is out in bare skin celebrating this high temperature and I'm fully covered as usual. And I'm just looking at them going, this, the light alone looks dangerous. It looked dangerous, Anna. It actually did not look natural and looked dangerous. Two days of it, and then it jumped back down 30 degrees to the normalcy that it is right now. And in that time period, I tracked these things. A lot of people started to get sick. Everyone's got this... Um, this chapped skin look, including me, I, I'm on to the brim hats again because I had a, a a beret on, and my forehead is chapped, and it, it's, and I don't I don't get into the sun. I don't trust it anymore. I trust my own internal sun. I don't trust this external one, and it's going down like that here. So I just wanted to present a bunch of boots on the ground kind of observations and see what it looks like from you across the realm and looking in because 
I think people outside of especially the USA um, can see the difference between what it is inside it and outside of it. And if Jennifer Bruce is here, she's one like you who's lived in India and she's down in Mexico or South America. I don't want to give her exact space, but she traverses this similar kind of path and gives really great insight as to uh, the perceptions inside and out, especially from a Westerner, you are a European. And so you have, you at least were raised with those particular set of ideals and um, certain expectations as to what, what society is and what living is and all that, which is very much different from tribal life and uh, more intimate relationship with the earth. So I'm throwing all that onto your yeah. table. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think uh, what I'm hearing generally is that we're going through a grand solar minimum, not a maximum. Um. But so on the sun, I I am doing exactly the opposite of you. I feel that it's a different sun. It's for certain an absolutely different sun. Um, and I'm the only one around here who goes <clears throat> who goes around half naked. And. Uh, so far, so good, basically. I you know, this has to do with uh, how each one of us manages the esoteric, meaning the subtle energies in dialogue between you, me, us, as you know, human humans operating as antennas and uh, information exchangers between you know the sky, the cosmos, and the earth. My perception is that while the sun is different in a strange way, which I don't feel as hotter than before, actually. My sense is that Earth is heating. The inner sun of Earth is is activating like like crazy. And you know, my tree friends tell me tell me the same thing. You know, I notice, for instance, that planting saplings has to be done much more carefully on the earth side than on the sun side. Um, the extreme heat is very hard on the plants, you know, in the aerial part of the plants. The leaves are very, very sensitive. And I don't feel that it's a matter of the sun. I feel that it's a matter of giving them everything that is required inside the ground for them to have breathing space you know, the right kind of, you know, the cooling effect of, of water, the right amount of, you know, charcoal, biochar, whatever you want to, you know, to put down there to get it just right. Because in this strange, you know, over one month phase of extreme unnatural heat, 
the big trees have done absolutely fine. They have not suffered at all. But I've noticed that that the they feel thirsty from 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 below in a way that I've not seen in the hot season in previous in previous years. So there's there's a different sort of um interchange of energies between above and below and how that operates inside us. And so you know if we are the exchange between what is above and what is below, we need to tune the the whatever the capacitor, perhaps Jerry can help us with the vocabulary internally, you know, inside our bodies, you know, physically and subtly. That's that's what I'm finding from my own personal experience. As regards the environment uh, on the people side, well, well, basically, you know, out in the countryside, they they've all received the injections, except for most people in my sort of extended family here, and. Uh, you know, hubby who watches the local news tells me, and he usually doesn't, you know, tell me what he sees on the news, but he tells me, oh, there's been this killing. Oh, there's been that murder. We have started having um, killings in schools like you've been having in the States for quite a while. So I'm seeing the same program being used, mutatis mutandis out here, but the violence is... The violence is substantial, and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of you know murder. Probably not on the same scale as what you have in the states, because you know the 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 operation the op has not been it's started more recently here. And the other thing is that you know this is. A Buddhist country, which, you know, I don't like the word Buddhist to be self-explanatory, but basically it's, this is, you know, this, these are lands of the middle way and people are going to keep their balance as much as they can, um, especially in the countryside, until suddenly, suddenly something snaps, you know, they're not prepared. They don't have the preparation for when the, 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 the onslaught of everything from every angle becomes too much for them. You know, psychically, they don't have... <laughs> they... So I don't, I don't think I can describe, you know, in a way that would be... that would be non-judgmental. Um, it's... Suddenly they snap, and I've seen this... It'll be overwhelming I've seen this for them. often... It, but, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, now, you know, in the past year or so, we've been seeing, we've been seeing more and more of what you have, what you have in the, in the, in the, in the developed world. So it's, it's happening here too. Uh, but the animals are doing fine. I'm noticing that, you know, animals are doing absolutely fine. It may have to do with the fact that, you know, I am as much as I can alchemizing, you know, um, 
doing the right kind of energy exchange within myself to keep my own balance. And this, this I think, you know, Nish, I think that, you know, the best that we can do in these situations is uh, do our self-preservation in a holistic sense that is, it's not just about me. My, my equilibrium depends on the equilibrium of everything around me. So somehow there is something that has to emanate from me that is pacifying for, you know, the critters around me, the, the trees, as well as for the humans with whom I interact. Although, I mean, when I'm out here in my, in my remoteness, I don't interact with very many humans. But basically, I, you know, when I have to go to the big city to go and make money, um, I, I carry that with me. But I, you know, in the big city, I feel very much like you feel. And, you know, the minute I set foot out of my train that brings me to the big city, I feel this broke thing that sort of, oh, a cloud of lead, if air were lead. That's, you know, it just, oh, it's absolutely awful. It's a, a, and I, oppressive. Oh, oh, I don't even, yeah, oppressive. But, you know, I mean, it's the contrast with, with well, you know, nature, trees, yes. is just so absolutely, you know, huge. And I notice... I notice the burden that trees carry in the big city. I mean, the amount of crud that they have to permutate to alchemize for life to remain to some extent livable in the city, it's just phenomenal. So when I'm in the city, basically I'm talking to the trees mainly rather than talking to people, you know, apart from what is necessary for professional purposes. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nisha, I really, I, I, I feel what you're saying. I feel it very much, and I am certainly aware that you're getting it. You know, uh, orders of magnitude bigger than what we're having here. On the other hand, because I'm feeling what you people have out in the West, I'm feeling it here, creeping. I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling what it's going to be like in a couple of years. And uh, I'm just so grateful that I've been in, in training, you know, for the subtle side of who we are, the es natural human esoteric, as I like to call it. I've been in training for this, you know, for long enough that, okay, you know, I'm going to have to deal with this both internally and, and, and externally, but it has to come from some, something somewhere inside me. And when that something somewhere inside me is operational, there is, there are the powers of the weak forces of nature and of the goodness in other humans that responds and that cooperates. So that's my, you know, that's, it's not a terribly um, loud program. It's a very quiet program. But I do think that it's the quiet program that's going to get us through this.
Do you, when you're looking in on us over here and, uh, and this is a very open-ended question, but you're in a very different place and you've just described a lot of those differences and the subtlety in which this, whatever's going on is creeping into that space over there where you are. What do you see? Like really what, and, and what are your perceptions of the Western world, the developed world from where you are so that people can get an understanding of that from a different perspective? Oh, people in the West need to understand that they are weaponized internally. They are weaponized against themselves. I'm seeing this, you know, ever since doing the, the second book, the Broody Blue book, and uh, and doing those non-doing, non-practices, this has awakened in me a, 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 a perception of how the Western mind has been weaponized in a way that's it's creeping here. It's uh, very much a fact in the big cities, not so much yet a fact in the in the countryside. And I think the same applies around the third world. But the Western people depend on their mind to understand everything. And the thing is that the Western mind, the modern mind, has been stuffed with all sorts of information that altogether does not make sense, creates basically only cognitive dissonance. And people are trying, you know, and very bright people are doing a phenomenal job working their way through all the cognitive dissonance and finding, you know, bits and pieces here and there and, and trying to build a bigger picture. But they're in the mind and they don't realize that the mind, no matter how bright and perhaps because it's even stronger in the brighter minds, the mind has been weaponized against us. You know, the demons, through the process that, you know, uh, was was uh, uh, journeyed through in the first book in Grivda, the demons have found the, I mean, the, the most brilliant trick to uh, keep us from being truly ourselves as humans, full humans, has been to implant something of their mind in ours. And so, you know, this makes it so easy to manipulate us from inside. And, you know, that from that place, they can gauge our reactions to what they're doing to us on the outside. You know, every day I, I take my daily dose of what's happening in the West. You know, I could switch off and, you know, some people say, don't overload yourself with all the negativity of all the bad stuff that's happening in the world. Well, I think not at all in terms of, you know, uh, a homeopathic kind of approach is to take a dose of the poison every day and alchemize it to be able to decode it and to uh, recover the, the perverted energy in oneself. 
So, you know, yes. I look, I feel into, of course, yes, I mean, you know, my, I, I, I still have family in the West. And uh, my family in the West, well, hardly talks to me. Perhaps one conversation per year. Which, you know, I just feel that silence as meaning it's re it, it is crushing for me to feel how my you know people my my kith and kin uh, are disconnected from from me and i can feel what it is that does the disconnecting and you know people call it whatever normalcy normalcy bias and all this kind of it's it's way more it's way deeper than that and truly it is it is at a soul level but as long as the western mind is weaponized against itself the western mind cannot actually come to terms with the fact that we all have fragmented souls that our souls are scattered all over the place and that we really urgently need to recover you know that those bits and pieces of what is the essence of what has taken an incarnation here. And so, you know, it's because of that that everything is separated cognitively. You know, there's the body is here, the mind is there, the soul is out there. All these people who want to sort of, you know, go out of body, um, who be, yeah, okay, let's get out of this meat suit as quickly as possible. I mean, this kind of thinking is just so... That really gets at me. I mean, that gets at my human soul because my human soul is connected with the human soul of everybody else. So, uh, and through that human soul, yes, of course, I can feel that all those other human bodies out there are having a really very hard time. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's absolutely atrocious. And, you know, um, the only work that I can do is the inner work from, you know, the dark or the invisible tunnels that connect or the invisible threads that connect my soul to, you know, many other souls of people that I know and don't know. Um, and, you know, that's through past lives and through all, all sorts of, you know, stuff that happens when one is in contemplative practice. Um to operate from that subtle level and to try and translate elements of that into, you know, books that can reach other people. But, you know, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty private person. I'm not going to, you know, go screaming all over the internet. Do you? And so, yeah, go ahead. Let's look at this idea of the soul fragments. And you mentioned it twice now. And I think to get people on to an understanding, because I, I do want to make sure we get to the new book, but we're getting there. And so when we look at the soul fragments, there are a lot of people out there that understand 
say from a new age perspective, and you know how I knee jerk from that, uh, what that is. So when you speak of these soul fragments and how easy it is through what we consider the the birthing deathing process to have them how easy it is to separate the soul and how easy it is to fragment it. Could you elaborate on that so that people can find their way to your ground of understanding? Okay. Now in a nutshell, in a nutshell, basically, I think, you know, most of us and the people who will be listening to this um, understand that we are some kind of essence, non-physical, that takes an incarnation. And we call that essence soul. You know, soul is, it's kind of, it's its not the same thing, you know, in different other cultures. There again, we've inherited a particular concept of soul from the Christian religion in 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 the West. So let's just call it, you know, this soul, this essence, or understand that when, when we're using the word soul, it's this cosmic essence that may have a shape, may not have a shape. I'm, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm exploring that in my contemplations and I, you know, I don't have a definitive answer, but basically we need to be able to manif to, to be able to know the creative generative abilities of this essence the most powerful way to have that experience and to contribute to the whole of whatever you know we call universe cosmos what have you um incarnation physicality is the most potent vector. And so, you know, over eons and eons of time, this physicality of ours has been adapted, presumably with, you know, all sorts of other civilizations, contributions in terms of genetic whatnots and you know who knows what you know what what tremendous factors have have come from all over the place to modify us and to modify the environment together with the power of earth um such that through each different period of of existence of life especially on this planet which is not an ordinary planet not an ordinary little you know piece of rock floating around in this uh corner of a, of of a galaxy um for these um this experience of incarnation to to interact with the essence the soul, such that the soul becomes more talented at contributing 
to the totality in terms of creativity, co-creativity. Um, different modalities of thinking beyond what we think is thought. Different modalities of imagination because beyond what we think is imagination. And we are now in a phase where our incarnations are hyper-physical and where our programming our mind and spiritual programming is focused on this hyperphysicality to the detriment of our perception of the subtle self that we are, that soul essence and all the other um, subtle dimensions, entities, densities that interact with us and cooperate with us if we can speak their language that isn't our human language. So uh, the soul, as I as I have you know come to understand it, and this this makes sense to me both rationally and esoterically. Our souls come from a place of beauty, harmony, creativity, you know, uh, love, all the good stuff out there. And, you know, over the eons, there have been different phases of life on this earth that have been more benevolent or less benevolent, you know, golden ages and Kali Yugas and things like that. So, you know, right now we are in a, in, in a harsh phase but there's something in us, the soul in us remembers, remembers the golden ages and remembers what it is to be the soulless out there, not in incarnation, and strives to bring this into manifestation. But because it is, it's fabric, it's fabric, it's stuff, whatever that may be in the subtle realms, is made of harmony, uh, creativity, love, and all the good stuff, when its incarnation is tortured, or when its own uh, subtle self encounters e the, you know, what we call evil in the subtle forms of evil, it shrinks back. It, it, it has learned fear. It's not only our minds and our subconscious that has learned fear. It's the soul that has learned fear. You know, if lifetime after lifetime you've been tortured for being a heretic um, or for being, uh, you know, uh, this sex as opposed to that sex or whatever, every time you get tortured, your soul detaches itself from, from the physical body. That's, that's the first vector. And, you know, the, the establishment of what we call religious institutions is predicated on, on human sacrifice of different types, on the extraction of, of energy in different forms from us from millennia ago. So it used to be, 
experienced by our souls as mainly torture of the physical body. The physical body being an expression of the soul. So it is an aggression against the soul. The soul understands this. The body may not. But, you know, when you're being, when you're being, you know, tortured by the Inquisition or this, that, and the other, your body is screaming and your soul is feeling it. Your soul is being tortured. So the soul is going to fly away or bits of soul are going to fly away. Hence the fragmentation. And lifetime after lifetime, we come back with the memory of unresolved soul fragmentation from previous lifetimes. And this is going to express itself in this lifetime and in the next lifetime. Do you see what I mean? Yes. So the business of becoming whole again is, it's not trivial and it's, you know, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very big deal. But it is entirely feasible. And my understanding of what we're going through now is that we are going through an extreme of everything in the physical, in the subtle. They're deploying all their esoteric tricks against life, not just against us, against all of life. And uh, our job is to keep, you know, as I say at the end of the second book, is to keep the soul very close, very, very close, and to teach it to not be afraid. When our souls are no longer afraid, nothing can be done to us. But, you know, our souls have been through these past millennia at least, to learn what, what envy can do against the beauty of, of a human soul, against the actual mission of a human soul. And once we've learnt all the expressions of that envy and And, and, and the soul stays with the body that is the expression of it. Then we're no longer split. And then, you know, I, then, then the sky's the limit. I don't know. You know, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, work in, it's work in progress. It's work in progress. But, you know, when you feel bits of soul coming back to you, and but then you have to hold on to them you know people will go in for a past life regression and something is going to be reconciled the problem is they do not hold on to that piece of what has been uh, reintegrated it's that's the allopathic mentality i've taken a pill and so it's supposed to you know have cleared my problem quickly easily without my having to do anything about it ah no you know this is it's it's a very it's a very proactive uh, thing that requires very little activity. It requires attentiveness to, okay, I've just had a fantastic past life regression, you know, whatever absolute horrors were done to me in the Inquisition, 
And I've resolved all that thanks to my excellent past life regression therapist. I feel great. I feel great for two days. I feel great for one week. And then it fades away because I'm not holding on to it simply with my attention, with my, with my love for that new, that new me who has re reintegrated a, a bit more of me. It's difficult to explain in words, but it's, it, it is a felt reality. You know, and that's where this whole business of non-doing is, it is so, so powerful. Uh, and, you know, I say this, I just have, I have to keep repeating that non-doing is so absolutely powerful because, because it enables all the subtle powers that may be dormant in us and that are right there all around us to come, to come, you know, to come active again. I'm not going to say to come online because I don't want to use this, you know, modern technological vocabulary for the, for the realms of the subtle realms of what we call spirituality, but it's, and, and, you know, these non-doing non-practices bring together the different elements of who we are, the physicality, the soul, the mind, the emotions, they all get reintegrated, you know, by virtue of their own intrinsic, uh, organic um, ways of ways of operating that, you know, that cannot be, that they cannot be described in scientific terms. They cannot be described in, 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 it's really difficult to talk about these things with human language. You know, we can only give approximations, but uh, this, uh, this business, you know, the people who go about reintegrating bits of soul because they recognize that they are fragmented. I mean, they can feel it somewhere in themselves, but to try and to do it through the agency of the mind, as long as it's the mind that is also fragmented and weaponized against us, within us, cannot happen. Yes. And let's, let's move into, I have a couple different ideas swirling around here. I want to touch upon what you talk about in the last book, being breathed. Can you put that down in a way that is uh, tangible? And surely you do in the book, this beautiful book you've written. Um, and I want to, with that idea, Anna, I want to look at the the connection, the possible connection. So for me, I've been noticing that as I do this kind of work deeper, as I move deeper into this really natural state, you just let it happen. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm connecting into what I think we can agree in the collective possibly is epigenetic memory, where I'm able to traverse back as we're looking at soul fragments and all that. And I'm starting to identify patterns. 
and in very subtle ways, patterns where it, it could even be something as simple as something olfactory. Everyone understands how a scent can take you back to a certain place where you first had that encounter or something mm-hmm. simple like that. But I'm noticing something very deep churning in in this allowing, in the non-doing, allowing yourself to be breathed in the stillness of it all, that there are, it's almost like a, a psychic gum machine where you, <laughs> you unlock it and here comes your little gumball. <laughs> and then you get it. So for me, it's a state of reward. And I could certainly see how for other people, this may bring back hard things from from that pool and and all that. And of course, those are very important as well. But the hard things I've never shied away from. The hard things are to me an opportunity. They're just telling me I need to play more of my love in that direction. And I don't mean love in a new age way. I mean, real true love, which is uh, can be ruthless. It's non, it's, it's its own, it's its own essence. And somehow it's been taking away from us through language, the idea of what real love is. And I, on some level, mm-hmm. I, I think that's also an extremely personal experience that only you can have and only I can have. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very intimate thing. So what are your thoughts here with the epigenetics of it and in praxis with non-doing and allowing yourself to be breathed? And I think there are people out there that won't understand those terms if they haven't read your book because you've really brought this forward. Uh, well, then, you know, the, I didn't, once again, I have to start with... I wrote this book, but basically it's, you know, somebody... didn't invent this. Some did not invent it. <laughs> I invented nothing. And somebody in the subs, in, in my Substack page, this is, this is not a book. And somebody else said, a book that shouldn't be written. So uh, it's, it's a, it's trying to transmit you know like 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 everybody else you know in 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 in, on a deep path we've read the poetry of great mystics and things like that but those things how do those things relate to you know what is the ordinary human mystic you know there again my contention is and has been for a while you know from before writing this other book that there is a natural mysticness in all of us, virtue of who we are at the soul essence level. And, you know, mysticism is also something that has been, uh, has been taken away from us, in particular by, you know, academia where you've got all sorts of, you know, fantastic exegesis, exegesis, that's a nice word, um, about this and that great mystic and all oh, the things he says and etc. cetera. Uh, but what about the ordinary mystic sense of all of us? 
you know, and this is, you just mentioned the olfactory thing. You know, the olfactory thing, okay, it will bring back perhaps that experience of the first time that that particular scent, fragrance, or stench hit our nostrils. <laughs> it it also hit our limb. It hit the limbic system, and it hit. It, you know, I I don't think it's it's um, fortuitous or trivial that you mentioned the olfactory because that is the most, that's the most ancient, most archaic of our senses, and. You know, that's the power of essential oils. When you sniff an essential oil, it's going straight to that center in the brain that does all sorts of very interesting stuff and not only in terms of you know sedating and uh, and uh, soothing it 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 conveys it conveys huge amounts of information but let's not go there today um epigenetically yeah there's the the epigenetic reality is true. Uh, it's true within a lifetime, but it's true also intergenerationally, and and you know from lifetime to lifetime, where you're not always reincarnating in the same genetic lineage. So it's more than epigenetic. It's. Uh, The thing we call our DNA. I mean, when they're talking, when they're talking about genetic and epigenetic, they're only referring to the two to five percent, you know, depending on who who you're reading or who you're listening to, that actually um, codes for protein. That actually does stuff that can be measured by the instruments of of today's science. There's the whole rest of it that is, you know, that used to be called junk. Um, and uh, there's this brilliant um, scientist, Russian, uh, Peter Pyotr Garyayev, that you may have heard about, who, who coined the term wave linguistic genetics, whereby he understood what we call DNA to be uh, a linguistic code. It operates with its own um, understandings of homonymy and synonymy. So Sorry, I, I that was a very loud chicken. I hope. I hope <laughs> was, it's, is it all if, right? Yeah, I mean, if you don't, okay, if you're not <laughs> hearing the animals, I'm hearing them, and so I'm figuring, oh shit, um, well, they don't bother me. And they, uh, <laughs> no, but they, when they're very loud and sudden, right there next to my ear, uh, they, you know, and I'm on a difficult train of thought, and I'm trying to give a good answer to my friend Mish. Uh, okay, <laughs> so. Basically, Pyotr Garyaev, who, by the way, died not long ago, uh, kind of at a rather young age. So, hmm, anyway, uh, 
Um, but basically, the, the thing that we call DNA and genetics is way more than what we call DNA and genetics. And actually, Garyayev, I'm going to jump straight to his conclusion, which is that basically it's the code of God, which, of course, puts us in the uh, rather dangerous field of the word God, which means too many different things for us to be able to safely use the word God. But basically, it's the code of the code of the soul, the code of the cosmos, the code of all sorts of stuff. Um, and when we understand that, then it becomes, I think, interesting to consider that the epigenetics aspect of, okay, let's say, uh, let's say uh, you were fed only vegetarian food as a child, and this traumatized the actual body that you have, which is a carnivorous body. So you're going to have an epigenetic trace of that in this lifetime. Um, if your grandparents were tortured and killed in Auschwitz, but well, one of them managed to escape and to survive, and thus your lineage is, uh, is well, you're still, you're alive today, so that lineage is still alive. But you epigenetically, is it only epigenetic? I don't think so. I, th I think it's part of that wider code uh, that, yeah, that wider code that I can no longer call just DNA. I mean, deoxyribonucleic acid. I mean, an acid, can an acid actually contain all that, <laughs> all the traces, all the experiences, all the memories? of lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes since who knows when. You know, perhaps for some of those that one of your friends called the primes, I think, you know, if we were there right at the beginning um, of the adventure of this planet Earth, then, I, you know, I'm sorry, it's not, you know, I, I'm not buying the fact that an acid can contain all that. <laughs> uh, Okay, I mean, code, I don't like the word code either because it's, you know, uh, it's it, it's coding in computers and it's codex alimentarius and it's codes of laws. Yes. So I've been grappling with, I mean, you know, what words to find. Actually, if Garyarev says it's the, it's the logos, it's the logos. Okay, you know, I'm a bit more comfortable with that. And logos is not... The word, logos is an logos is the word, but the meaning that that particular meaning word stems from a far more complex uh, concept, which is an organizing principle. So, as an organizing principle, language, words have that power of you know logos as being the word of God, once again, in but in inverted commas. Now, how this would tie in with the whole business of being breathed, going back to the book. Uh, these considerations that I now have about DNA and logos come from, you know, uh, this non-practice of being breathed, where 
there's no there's no nothing of my own volition nothing of my own imagination nothing of my own pondering takes part in the actual contemplative practice of being breathed or being moved or being incubated which are the three the three sort of practices non practices introduced in that book so to go back to the genesis of the book one day i was doing my regular practices and i don't know what those practices were anymore i've forgotten now that i've gone into non doing and something conveyed to me be breathed pretty forth- forcefully and i kind of oh of course uh you know my mind it was so sudden and so obvious that i didn't have that split second space to start questioning it and i just fell into it and you know this experience happens to a bunch of people who read the book but then the other aspect is to is to continue we've had that aha realization that actually something is breathing you you are not breathing yourself i mean you know the the i that does stuff decides stuff doesn't control there again you know 90 plus percent of what my body does it's funny how we've got these same percentages um you know the 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 the, the measurable dna is 2 to 5% the conscious mind is 2 to 5% of the total mind all the rest is the subconscious um our bodily functions it's perhaps 5% that we actually control that we actually move that we actually do but most of what keeps our bodies alive is done well they say automatically by the autonom- autonom- autonomic systems the breathing the digesting the this that and the other hmm that means that you know there's a hell of a large proportion of us that does stuff that the 2 to 5% of us doesn't know about so if you go into a non-doing attitude such as being breathed and you give your full attentive presence to it you're not observing it because that's a form of doing you're just present for it and attentive to it and being completely with it um then there is this immense realization felt experience of this tremendous force that breathes me and you know after a couple of months of you know being in this very blissful state of okay you know <laughs> you know whoever you are breathe me um then it it wanted me to perceive it further out from my body and so you know the 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 active the, the only active part of me in the being breathed thing is that i put out a command breathe me that's what makes the difference 
the difference is it's not just pure receptivity. It's not pure passivity. This, these powers that, that um, imbue us with life force and can ultimately imbue us with the wisdom that is already dormant inside us. It's already there. Uh, they require us to recognize them. They require us in this incarnation to give them permission to do what they're already doing. But by giving them this permission, they are way happier doing what they're doing. When I say to what I call the spirit, and that I feel at my spine, because the spine is the strategic location of the body uh, for, well, for, you know, any number of practices. Um, when I say to it, not verbally, it's infraverbal, but that's another nuance that I don't want to bring in right now. Uh, breathe me. There is this, <laughs> this, the presence of this power that breathes me is that much more perceptible to me. And the more I feel it, the more it does its job. And so, you know, after the initial phase of having this, this, I can't call it a dialogue. I, I, I don't, you know, this non-doing happening between my, my present, con my, my conscious presence and the actual force that is breathing me, then, you know, it, it demanded that I should place that command, be breathe me, breathe me, not close to my body, but further and further away. And that's how I, I, I fell into my field. We all know, or most of us know, that we have an energy field around us. You know, Heart Math Institute has, has shown us that it's, you know, we've got this electromagnetic um, donut, uh, toroidal thing all around our bodies, which is more or less big, depending on all sorts of factors. But when you start feeling it beyond the schematic image that you can get from a heart math picture, or that you can get from, you know, one of those, 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 you know, those diagrams that give you a rendition of the different energy bodies surrounding the physical body, you you get a, you move away from those visual imprints and you start having a felt sense of the field it's that's really quite something because when you start cultivating being breathed by the field that is all around you and in you then there is a sense of bringing more of your essence back home and at the same time of inhabiting this physicality with more of this essence. And this gives more meaning to the fact of being alive, having a human life on this earth now at this particular point in time for a reason, for some, you know, really serious reason, good reason.
not just having, you know, I really, I really don't like that expression of, oh yes, we are just the cosmic souls having a human experience. Um, having an experience, you know, it's, it makes me feel like I'm a tourist. I've taken a package deal, you know, to go and visit bah, this or that country on planet Earth. Nah, it's way more than that. We've got, we've got real work to do here. And the more one, <coughs> the more, the more we have this sort of re-cohering sense of physicality and 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 soul and sensation and emotions all coming together again the more the reality the 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 the, the pregnancy the pregnant nature of why we're here on earth becomes compelling so you know that i think you know this particular thing informs everything that i've been saying from the beginning of this conversation actually you know we we are here we have this these these capacities we have i mean i don't know how far it goes you know i'm 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 a beginner and i you know say very clearly in the book every time i am in this non-doing being breathed attitude i'm a beginner i'm always a beginner the I that is incarnated in this particular body with this particular mind, you know, I may say things quite forcefully when I'm, you know, speaking with human language, but at that level of, of the, the I'm a child rediscovering who I am. And, you know, this is, you know, oh, look. Look what I've found. You know, it's <clears throat> it's a kind of treasure hunt. It's to me, it's as exciting as a treasure hunt. And every treasure hunt, you know, it's always beginning afresh for every new treasure hunt. And and it's at the same time the same treasure hunt that I've been on for eons. So, you know, you put those different things together and uh yeah, uh, having having a human incarnation is way more than you know just some magical soul taking on a meat sack to have a human experience. Uh, you know all these all these cliches that they use are really they're so damaging. They're so damaging. Niche. Anyway, yeah. have have I answered? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I wanted to expand this and when we're looking at the idea of communication from this stance from the nothingness really and how for me and it is it deepens the the more i let go the more i am and i know this may be a trigger word for some people but the more i'm consumed by this really nothingness that is moving through that is absolutely for me a sentience but it has it has no form it has no shape it has absolute sentience though it has a flavor and um it doesn't it's neutral as well i want to make that clear for me yeah for me it's yeah, neutral. i agree yes no it is it is it is neutral it is neutral that's the whole point yes See that, but that's a, lot a very of people... important point. And 
I'm sorry for interrupting, but I really want to emphasize that right now before I forget. <laughs> Go on with it, girl. <laughs> I, I've done it. You, please, you carry on. So, well, what I'm saying here is the level of communication I'm getting, and I'm only going to use this word again, these words, so that we can understand, but the level of communication I get from the field has become, I, I don't know, I feel like recently in the last year, I have... I'm understanding a language I did not understand before, but the more I understand it, the more I see that it's always been there and that I was not able to hear it because I didn't understand it. So it, it could have played a static in the background, basically. And I think to call it a synchronistic language or... Uh, anything like that is actually to belittle it in a way it acknowledges it, but it, 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 it still kind of envelops it in a realm of the mind and the communication I'm getting from the outer field, which is truly because my inner field is allowing this is substantial now there is nuance here of course because i think that there's some level of fuckery going on when i move through and i get into the digital arena like we're in right now and and a lot of people talk about this and it's very valid and you know i talk about this a lot as well but i want to just make an mm. a separation between the digital aspect of it and the natural aspect of it the communication i'm getting from nature around me from from my my relationship with all the things in nature around me my finches outside that when they know i'm in this space where i am right now they come hundreds of them to my window and the hummingbirds mm. come and they greet me anna and i know that yeah. that's a communication they didn't just synchronistically come to the window uh, yes agreed I don't like synchronicity either. It's just, it's another utilitarian, reductive idea. Yes. It, it served a you're purpose. Absolutely right. It did. It yes. served a really good purpose to get people to understand that there is meaning in the world around them when they start to recognize that signature, but it's so limiting. It's, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely been weaponized too. It, it's uh, weaponized into platitudes. It's weaponized into the grotesque language out there and movements of people. But what I'm talking about is the beauty of this interaction. And the deeper in I get, the more I'm starting to get a sense for what is happening to me. And I can only speak from where I am. And 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 this is one of those things that when I was trying to understand past lives, I was trying to understand even past lives within this one life, all the hats we wear, all the clothing we wear, all the different views. i I had to start parsing it out in a way that everywhere I've ever been, I've been me. It doesn't matter if I'm a you know, a small Peruvian 
peasant man over there in the 1880s or if I'm, you know, Queen of Sheba. It just doesn't matter all the iterations, but throughout all my iterations, the thing I can recognize as I go deeper into this work is that everywhere I land, whatever that meanness is, the I-ness is, it's separate from the id and all that, uh, that I just recognize myself because I am open to understanding my own personal energetics. And I don't need a name for that. And it doesn't need to be in line with, say, the, again, these the language, but the epigenetic memory. I just know when I encounter something that I have encountered previously and possibly another iteration or life, I have a sense for it. And now as I do this work, that sense is actually giving me feedback because of my relationship with whatever those energetic fields are. Does this make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yay. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, no, I mean, you know, you're, the way you you're going to experience it the way I experience it, the way anybody else is going to experience it. It's, it is, it is extremely intimate. It's extremely private and it's going to have different flavors for all of us. But, you know, when you talk about that nothingness that has sentience, it's a nothingness that is a fullness at the same time. I mean, there again, you know, we are, we're stuck with, with the words and, our modern languages, especially English, have lost the words that we used to have that would be both more elusive and more precise to denote that kind of other reality. So, you know, we can only do our best with approximations and combining different words to try and make something that is cognitively dissonant to the ordinary flat mind such that the other mind the true mind that we have is awakened the mind that is connected with everything that we are so you know yeah what you're saying is yeah i mean you know yes absolutely that's the and the more we communicate you know i mean there is no I suppose we could say commune with, you know, the beings of nature around us and they commune back to us. The more uh, the more we touch the essence of this undescribable thing that we call life and uh, I, you know, I often find it crushing. You know, sometimes one bird will sing. I don't know. And I'm in a particularly receptive moment. And I'm just invaded with this bird song. It completely takes me over. And And there again, it's both crushing and totally elating 
you know, how can you be both elated and crushed at the same time? But that's, that, that's, you know, that's how we, I, I have to, you know, use contradictory words to reach that, that point. There is that point where we can, where we can be who we really are and, and express that through this physicality in, you know, inter alia with the struggles we have with, you know, finding the words to try and convey these things. Um, and then, and then the, the most, perhaps one of the most magical realizations is, is that feeling that by being open to the presence of all these other um, energies, powers, life forces all around us, and by giving them simply our presence, just the presence, but nothing else, the presence, which is an expression of love, of the real love that you were referring to earlier. Um, they come alive for us. And the more they come alive for us, the more we come alive for them. It's, it's we are restarting the virtuous cycle of what used to exist eons and eons ago for us humans and with us humans and with this and with this this uh, this planetary being and you know that's the that's the other thing it's the the reality of the incredible being that has incarnated as this planet and I think that you're expressing more or less the same thing as I. I mean, I'm... Oh. She's my main, you know, interlocutor in that mute language that is not at all human language. She's my main interlocutor in, you know, in my daily, in my daily non-doing contemplation. And... Uh, and she craves, she craves that human attention to her in presence, not doing anything. And from that kind of communication communion that we can have with her, will come more inspiration, new insights as to what we need to do, because we are here to do stuff in incarnation, in our environment. In what we call our environment which is you know it's the french word environ environ is what surrounds you as if it were outside us it's you know it's the it's the milieu it's the terrain that is both us and outside us and around us that it's it's all mutually interpenetrating and so that's that you know another aspect of of what develops with what i call the non-doing attitude is this sort of inter this loving harmonious interpenetration between us and everything else around us and to bring this back to you know the beginning of our conversation we become that much more flexibly solid flexibly solid in our interactions 
with, you know, the poisoned world around us. So, yeah. I feel I'm going, you know, I keep going around your questions. I'm not sure I'm actually, I'm actually answering. But basically, oh. yes, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, in terms of what you describe, you just, you describe so very beautifully, you know, your experience of it. And, um, you know, I hope, I hope many others, I, you know, I really hope many others are going to fall into this, into this uh, thing that is more than an experience. There again, I mean, the words, the words fail it. Oh. But if you know, the more of us, uh, yeah, fall into this and cultivate it in this non-doing, in this non-doing way, where I mean, non-doing means non-willing, um, non-controlling, non-intending, non-imagining, just you know, being present for what is inside us and outside us that are all conspiring for the greater beauty of life and of what it is you know that we are here to do on this on this earth plane yes and uh, one of the things and the deeper in i get i guess the deeper in i don't know sometimes i don't know which which way is which however the thing that's becoming very clear to me and increasingly so really by the day is how different this experience is. It seemed to me, and this could just be a reflection of where I am and where I was not prior, but it seems to me that the process here, whatever it is, however we want to call it whatever we want to say this is this this thing of life um including all this uh invading and nastiness that's that's in front of us that we do look at for balance we must uh is it's individualized and in the past it seemed like there was more of a congruence in the collective and i'm now starting to in a way, understand that as a as part of that mind fuckery, that mind trap, because I think it's always been an individual process. I've certainly understood that at different layers, but where I am with it now is that my process, which is a natural process, just like yours and anyone else's, is going to have its own expression because of my energetics, because of this olfactory here and that optical experience there and, you know, whatever. And so the thing I'm noticing is we've lost a sense of collective uh, home base and and I don't find that scary personally because I'm seeking the natural, I'm seeking the communication and I'm not trying to uh, manipulate it 
I'm just, you know, the most I manipulate is by observing and which is a doingness, as you know, and then trying to translate what I see. And that's where, you know, it can be very interesting territory. But I also have the soul of an artist, and that's part of what I do. I create from my experience and good or bad, ugly or sad, it's all going to find a way in the world of expression, the way a mushroom, you know, is a fruit of the mycelium network underneath. And so this individual process I'm noticing is going to be very, very particular towards each of us. And this is where I think possibly some confusion and continuity in this particular, uh, let's say, drama that's going on that we are part of and where it's going to be, I think, have that tinge of unhingedness of something's coming through the wood and we are all experiencing it differently and cannot find the language to coherently express it to each other. So our divisions seem to be deepening because of the breakdown of language, first of all, and the breakdown and fuckery of language, because in our lifetimes here, it's it's really been pushed. I mean, there's and we we've talked about this where bad means good, etc. Right? All the slang and the individual intonations and syntax and Ignorance all this. Ignorance is strength. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so that's where I think it's going to get interesting. Anna is what you are experiencing and what I am experiencing. And trying to come together and and say, are you observing this? So this is the doing, the observing is interesting. And so for people like us that tend to be more, I guess, gentle, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. I'm open to other people's perceptions and I look for them and I like them and I like the contrast. But what I'm noticing is a frustration going on in the collective because a lot of what is being pushed is not being understood for good or bad. Like we should understand that there are forces out there that are absolutely trying to cleave us from the natural world. And that's not, to me, a good thing. And so because of this confusion in language, because of this soul fragmentation and this major overture that's happening that possibly has some sort of magical timing. And I'm what I mean by that is when a seed is germinating, right? It it's not on a clock, but it's on a magical clock, the right ingredients, the right amount of warmth and water, and it sprouts forth, right? There's a there's a magical clock there of that sort. It has been manipulated. And the deeper thing I'm trying to say here is that as I've looked at 
how deep whatever this is, the lie goes. The one thing I've noticed that seems to be the biggest distortion that I notice nobody seems to really get on the same page is time. The idea of time, the concept of time, the functionality of time, uh, the control aspect of time. And so I was wondering, and I know we're getting close to the end here, your idea of, or your, um, what can you bring to the table with this concept and how things are starting to play out now, how diverse our experiences are getting and how this angry energy that we're talking about earlier is starting to present itself more openly and freely. In terms of, in terms of time? Well, I think that is one of the things that is, I think the time aspect, the, the fuckery of time is actually giving this an edge. And um, so say for people on the grind of every day, get up, go to work and, you know, have, being pressed, using time as a tool of oppression by whatever beings or whatever it is, is causing a fracture in the collective. And, and that is is affecting the language and that is affecting different cultures and different ways of being. And I'm not talking like beautiful Sufi dancing. I'm talking like this is a fracture. People are at their limits because they have been fractured. They have been traumatized. And most of what I'm noticing is that the core component is actually time, the, the manipulation of time. Yeah. Well, I think the first, the first point I've I've come to consider time as uh, an energy of its own, <clears throat> and it's, and of course you've got the relationship between time and space. Uh, you know, out in the like eternal realms. Uh, if time exists, it's of a completely different nature because space is not what we experience in the physical in the physical realms here. So, you know how I don't know a star experiences time. Of course, is completely completely different. Now, that brings to mind you know macrocosm microcosm equivalence. We are, and 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 the mutual relationship between individual and collective. I mean, you know, you you've just packed so much into that one, uh, into those you know few paragraphs. Is is just, uh, I'm sorry, darling. Basically, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, and and you're absolutely right. Uh, but there again, you know, I'm receiving that. I've already translated what you said into the nonverbal sense of it, where it is completely making sense. And then I'm having to struggle, struggle to retranslate, you know, back into this faulty language. You mentioned the issue of, of 
translation. And this is absolutely crucial. And very, very few people, especially monolingual people, especially in the English-speaking world, who are not aware of how much their own only language has been bastardized and 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 raped to pieces. Ah, uh, so anyway, so you know, I, me being multilingual and uh, and having these nonverbal non conversations with you know, with the natural world. I'm extremely aware. I mean, it hurts. It literally hurts to have to use human language, but we have to do it. So, you know, we have to do our very best with, with the tools that we have. And um, so we're in a space now where there is, there is the time, there is the timeline, or let's say the time energy with the particular spatial ambition of the demonic powers, let's just call them that, they, the demonic powers that want to take over all of life and, and our intent on annihilating and or, you know, hijacking the human soul. Um, they're operating on a very intense collective level now that we've never experienced before because it's embracing the whole the whole of the planet now um it, at the same time this strategy is being implemented with diversified tactics region by region around the world or even within within large countries it applies differently within you know whether it's east or west you just look at the weather engineering it's it's that kind of differentiated um, manipulation of the normal time space time frames of natural phenomena in the weather they are they're collapsing certain things that should take a certain amount of time into a very condensed uh, moment of time or they're expanding um, things that should happen in a much more in a much more uh, regular sort of paced kind of fashion in the normal cycles of of the weather of climate so and you know the same thing is happening in each one of us physically you know emotionally cognitively There's, there's also the time energy of the collective human soul, which, you know, people who are sensitive to this kind of thing, you know, we are sensitive to what is happening to the human soul, at least in the collectives around us, you know, in our, in our, in our respective physical locations. But, you know, from where I am, I'm also feeling it. I'm also feeling what's happening in the time energy um, of of the Western nations, uh, you know, and also Australia. I mean, that also includes Australia, New Zealand. So, and you add to that 
the particular timeline energy or just time energy for each one of us in terms of how the different time energies from the macro down to the micro operate. If one doesn't have a solid place in a contemplative uh, practice, uh, I mean, you know, this compression, distortion of time, I mean, it's not just compression, it's at the same time, it's distortion of time, it's different manipulations of the time energy that used to be sufficiently regular until 2019, apart from, okay, the big events, the 9-11s, the, you know, financial crash, things, you know, this or that war that impacted different parts of the world differently. Um, it's all happening at the same time now in people who are completely unprepared for it. And frankly, I mean, those who do not have 30 to at least 30 minutes a day of completely quiet time for just being with themselves and ideally, you know, being with nature. Uh, of course, I mean, you know, people are gonna go crazy. In addition to the effects which are now, you know, increasingly coming out uh, of the of the effects of the injections, that they are changing people's psyche. They are changing people's. Uh, yes. There's a very interesting paper from uh, Thomas Mayer, who's been collecting, who's been collecting um, testimony from different uh, alternative healers who use subtle methods, who are finding that they're no longer feeling a soul present in the body that they're, that they're massaging or energy yes. healing or whatever it is. So, I mean, you know, all of these things are converging. And yes, no wonder, you know, what we can do when we go into those, into our states of the fullness of the nothingness and the nothingness of the fullness is recover with, then, you know, we, we go into the dimension of time that is no time or that is eternity, you know, zero and the infinite and um, and i personally find that that cultivation daily is the most important i'm not going to say routine but habit from where i can perceive i receive like you do the different time manipulation energies thrown at us and thrown at everybody else around the world. But I can carve out my own time energy that is congruent with the energy of that no time place 
wanting to have its manifestation into this physicality through what I'm doing. So, you know, and I'm saying this now from a from a, a a state where I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling good about all this. I'm comfortable. Like you, I have been through. Oh, you know, over the past pretty much year. Uh, and even more so since the, the publication of the second book. I've had moments with, I can't, I can't, I can't describe. I mean, it was just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just can't describe. And and the only moments that, that were good were the moments when I would go and sit, you know, in my non-doing. Yes where I would be breathed and be moved by my body and um, and from which once I had macerated, that's the other point. You know, it's not that we are completely impervious and that uh, we have become, you know, definitively solid against everything. We still have to go through these tunnels of yuck we still have to macerate in that stuff with the staying power to macerate in that stuff yet giving ourselves that daily moment our whatever it is depending on you know whatever we can we can we can manage of being in no time in that other in that other uh, space of who we are of what we are in total communion with, you know, with Earth and with the cosmos, and um, out of that maceration and the injection of that that time of no time, there emerges, as you say, you know, the new fruiting body from the mycelium. There emerges a new clarity as to this is what I need to do. This is what I need to work on. Da, 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 da. And then there's the, the energy that we bring into it is cleaner and clearer. And and it has an effect on the on the on the people around us. It has an effect. Well, I mean, you know, there again, the communion with the beings of nature of around us becomes ever more real and exquisite. And um, and I, I find that there is this smoother interaction with people around me and or a much sharper, more effective knife cutting through the bullshit. Way more effective than, I, than it ever was and needing very few words. So, yeah, I think it's, it is, there is, there is all this distorted time. I'm not sure I'm answering exactly in the same uh, key as what you were referring to. You know, I'm, I'm responding to that from what I have assimilated, but it is definitely, time is an energy uh way beyond you know the tick tock time that we've got on the clocks 
and and I I like to think that little by little we're going to be able to uh, reinfuse the real flavor of time energy into TikTok time. But yes. that's just that's just me being a little bit crazy. <laughs> well, I we like don't have that. to do like TikTok dances to get into TikTok time, do we? <laughs> so I, I, I just I thought to, of this too. Yeah. To summarize a lot of what you've been saying is something that Bruce Lee said in an interview is to be like water or be water. To just yeah. let it flow around you, you know. Absolutely. And that's mm -hmm. that's another thing, you know, in the non-doing thing, uh, I mentioned it somewhere in the book, you know, it, it you get a completely different relationship to the elements. And so it's be water, be air, be earth, be fire, at, not all at the same time, you know, but there are, there are moments, I, exactly, you know, in what you were, what you've just said, and which brings to mind what um, I just said before that about you know, now I have a sense in my relations with others that when it's necessary, and I use the image of a knife, that there is this sense of a cold fire that just goes, you know, it cuts through the bullshit. Um, and then, you know, I, I come out of that moment and I realize, that, oh, Oh, I've never been like that with that person. And I realized afterwards that it was like, yeah, there was like a sense of the fire element that came through and, well, you know, had to burn a piece of a piece of bullshit. And then, <laughs> you know, it's, it's most of the time, I suppose, you know, like niche, we are gentle people and it's more like the water element, but sometimes the water element can be pretty much torrential and uh, tumultuous and uh, and uh, flooding and all sorts of stuff like that. So it, it's, hmm. the elements actually, it's good to think of the elements not beyond, you know, what we, what we experience as fire, air, water, earth, as the physical things. Because actually, they too are the manifestation of a particular kind of soul or spirit essence that expresses itself in the physic in in physicality as fire, earth, air, water. You know, air actually is in 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 Asian cultures, it's wind. So it's the air in motion. And it's, it, you know, that's the, all these are interesting sort of offshoots of the non-doing practice. You, you know, in non-doing, you can indulge in being the wind, being the water indeed, but being not the physical water, but being the being that expresses as water, the being that expresses as air, expresses as fire. I mean, that's, you know, that's another 
interesting sort of you know little esoteric excursion yeah and what i this brings me to the point that you know th that book it it introduces only only three non-practices non-techniques i mean actually those three are huge and i uh, usually do not uh, practice all three daily because they're so huge and they have also brought me onto, you know, other variations of non-practices. So that's another thing. In the when you were talking about Anisha, talking about the individual, um, you know, forms of realization that we shall be experiencing individually, there are all sorts. And I mean, you know, from what you've been saying you've been expressing exactly this. There are all sorts of ways of non-doing that are open to us. And they will be, you know, variable from one person to the next or for a particular individual from, you know, one uh, period of life to another. So, you know, it's a wide, it's a wide, wide open field. It's just so wide open. Uh, you know, I I don't I don't know how far it can go, but um, but at least you know if people if people want to have more of a, a holding of the hands, you know, than what we've been saying in this conversation. I mean, you know, the 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 introductions to at least the basic levels of those three non practices. Are given in the book. And they really, I mean, <laughs> from my ripe old age, you know, I can say that I have never encountered anything that was so transformative in terms of, you know, whatever practices one can do. Yeah. And you know, who knows? I've done lots of things in my life. So. Well, yes, I am grateful to have you in this space time configuration at the same time. I love you, Anna Retort. You bring beauty and love into my life through your work, through speaking with you on this level, through encountering you in the field. And um, I just I can't thank you enough. You are exactly what I look for out here in these wild lands of life. What are good ways for people to get your books and all that? And do you offer autographed books? Uh, well, before we go to the practicalities, Nish, I want to thank you because... Um, Like last time, like the previous conversation we had, we had, you you make me say things I didn't know I knew. Um, and it's, I mean, it is a coming together of friends on a level that I cannot name. Um, a 
I'll be happy anytime you want to have another one of these conversations. And uh, and you have my full admiration and empathy and whatever it is that's that could be required for what you're going through out there in the, in your part of the Western world. It's um, oh. but you've got what it takes to alchemize this stuff. And uh, yeah, I think you're, you know, you're an important beacon for people, people to uh, listen to. You don't listen to a beacon, but anyway, um, it's like, I forgot to mention, you know, a light, a light piece of, uh, you know, the olfactory thing. In old Russian, people used to say, they didn't say, I smell a smell, a fragrance or anything. I said, I hear a smell or a fragrance. I think that's kind of nifty. <laughs> Indeed. You know, just on a, on a little sort of kind of, you and I have a sense for the elegance of old things. Yes. I remember that from previous time. So I think, you know, let's, let's be listening to those um, fragrances. And to the stench. Yes. <laughs> the patina. Anyway, <laughs> they were, exactly. Now, um, I want to mention the fact that I have a Substack page that is absolutely free, where, um, you know, I either go further into detail on this or that aspect of the two books, and I, you know, respond to questions, and I have just added another non-doing thing uh, that refers to the what people usually call the inner child. This is absolutely potent in terms of returning to wholeness. So, you know, I shamelessly plug that page. Um, once again, it's absolutely free. I've been I've been applying that particular non-doing with the so-called inner child. I cannot say how 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 massively um, well transformative or delicious what have you it has been. So you know I'd encourage people if they're interested they can go there because very often once you know once a book is published that's oh shit you know there is this and it should go it should have gone into the book and you know I cannot think for the time being of, of you know publishing updated editions i've got more books which are banging banging ahead at my at my at my little pea brain as far as getting the two books those um they're available on amazon you can get the ebook you can get the print version uh i'm not sure how easily available they are on other big platforms the first one, yes, Krivda is available everywhere. Broody is probably available everywhere. It's it's on Amazon for sure. And if people want to support the author, uh, they can order straight from the publisher, Book Baby, um, that works specifically within the authors and gives better royalties, it's substantially better royalties because, I mean, if people know 
if people knew, you know, what what Amazon serves to back to authors. Yeah. Anyway, but that's not the main point. That's uh, you know, just if you know, if people, a lot of people want to support um, my work, and so they go and buy at Book Baby. Um, as regards signed copies, I send signed copies, but now in a purely gift economy uh, sense, I will send signed copies to people who will absolutely promise to do a review to help other people find the books. I cannot monetize this. PayPal, that used to be, you know, the convenient way to do this no longer no longer allows me as an individual in this country to have an account. So that's that. Um, and, you know, unless people want to go and do, I don't want to go through the banks either. I think, you know, it's probably a nicer thing. If people want to get an autographed signed copy, they can write to me through my website and write toward, um, dot info and use the you know the contact uh, page there and uh, if they're prepared to do a review then they get a free copy with my signature and i put links to your just... sorry but, but, yeah that's just about it if you need you know, I can send I can send links to you if you you know if you don't have them for the. No, I put I put, put the Amazon page. I put all those links into the show notes to the description of the video. Oh yay! Yeah. Oh, so you, you probably know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hope to talk to you again sometime. And thanks Thank everyone. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah. Thank you too. It's very nice you to didn't meet do you. Do much talking. I. You didn't do much talking, I, but you do lots of listening. I did lots of listening, exactly. I was being present. Lots of, but did you get lots of, lots of fragrance fragrances? <laughs> to the fragrances? I got a couple. I did. <laughs> I think it was the cat, though. I'm not really sure. <laughs> that was a stench. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay. Anyway. Lovely being with you two. Really lovely. I, I I mean, really, 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 you know, one always has to be polite at the beginning and the end of these conversations, but I really, 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 really want to say a big thank you for spending some rich, rich uh, uh, <laughs> tenderly tantalizing, ruthlessly gentle moments together yes indeed and w there will be more in a, between you and i there is never ending <laughs> it's a never be there's a mycelium it, because <laughs> yeah no because this is food to my soul too you know really so thank you and a retort and everyone that was in the chat that jerry was um handling so well as always so yeah. that and thank you jerry you're welcome thank you and uh Again, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, Damien Dumar, <clears throat> which should be an interesting conversation talking about the harvest. That's a barn burner for sure. I know. I'm looking forward to it.
<laughs> anyway. All right. That's all I got. Have a good night, everyone. See you later. Thank you. Bye.